sound. People say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load Hello and welcome back to Jake's World, episode 38 of Jake's World, presented by the Nuance Magazine. I'm your host, Jake Swinski, and today is October 13th, 2020. You ever find yourself in a rut? You know what I mean? Just each day, kind of just the same things over and over again. Not terribly excited. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, I like my job. And don't get me wrong, I'm pretty routine-oriented during the week, right? I mean, wake up at the same time, go to work at the same time, get home around the same time, you know, ballpark, give or take a half hour, eat around the same time, work out around the same time, and do the same things before bed or after dinner before bed. And it all kind of starts again the next day. Like I said, don't get me wrong, I'm very routine-oriented, and I like my routines. It kind of helps me feel, you know, like I'm doing things correctly. You know, I'm kind of in the groove. But sometimes I feel like that groove needs to be reset once in a while, and that's kind of where I'm at. Just the last few days for me have kind of been like, ugh. I just feel myself getting more more and more robotic, and I, like, need to spice it up, but... Who knows, maybe I need to eat something different for lunch. I don't know. It's just last few days have really kind of just been monotonous for me. And that's definitely affected the podcast too. Because once you kind of settle in that routine, it almost gets to a point where like you mail it in, right? You kind of just click away at the other stuff and you don't really spice everything up and that's something I need to try to do to get a little more excited about doing this I allude, alluded to it uh, last week I want to get back on the train two days a week but I'm kind of just in that groove and I kind of need to break that cycle so kind of just venting about that a little bit and then something that was good from the last couple weeks ago I found a new podcast that I listen to. I'm at work all the time, right? I listen to things. I sit at a desk all day and I work on Excel a lot. Like you can't just sit there and stare at the bre- the spreadsheet. My manager does that. I think he's crazy. I don't know how he doesn't listen to anything all day. But um Sean Avery is an ex um NHL player, right? He kinda served at uh that asshole role on the ice. Like, if you watch hockey like I do, every guy has a specific role they play on the team. It's no different than any other team, especially baseball. I mean, football and basketball is a little different. Even basketball has some elements of this a little bit. But football, the roles are very defined, right? Like, each position is on the field to do a certain thing. And, of course, on offense... I mean, everyone aside from the quarterback has to pitch in and block once in a while. Five guys always do. And then on defense, it's just you, 
the sole purpose is to tackle the other player. Of course, you have schemes and um, different strategies in which to most effectively do that. You know, um, you blitz certain gaps. You can do certain blocking schemes for the offensive side of the ball. You run, run things like that, right? Basketball is kind of the same thing too. I mean, some guys excel, you know, outside shooting and. Um, some guys play better inside games. Some guys play defense. Some guys come off the bench with the purpose of scoring. Hockey is that one sport where guys have roles within their position and they're really defined, right? Look at the best players in the NHL today. Um, first guy that comes to mind is Connor McDavid. He's, I mean, if you ask 10 people who the best player in hockey is right now, Nine of them would say Connor McDavid, and ten of them should, but one guy always goes against the grain. He's an offensive superstar. He can do anything he wants. His puck handling's great. His passing's great. His shooting's off the charts, and he's like a young Sidney Crosby, right? He plays the center position. There's other guys on the ice who play that center position but have a different role besides than to just, you know, take face-offs and you know, score the puck. Jumbo Joe Thornton is a perfect example of that. He's a first, second line center and has been his entire career. He's a little older now. He might even play on a third line. But on that Sharks team, he's probably one or two. He's a passer. Like, he's notorious for having a good shot, and he his vision is absurd. And when he's in a position to shoot, he's always looking to pass. Defenseman. You have offensive-minded defensemen like um, John Carlson, Brent Burns, um, guys like that, right? Victor Hedman. All these guys play the defensive position, you know, on offense, on the offensive zone there toward the, uh, the blue line. They can shoot. They can pass. Some guys play defense, and they play really physical. Well, Sean Avery was one of these guys who had, was a you know, 12-year NHL player. He bounced around a lot. And he was a guy. Uh, NHL was t- different 20 years ago. He was a physical player. He was on the ice to get under guy's skin and you know, really be an asshole out there. Holy shit, Derrick Henry. I'm watching a halftime show. Derrick Henry's absurd. But um, that's his role, right, to be really physical. And... You know, he's kind of a notorious figure because, I mean, he says, he's very outspoken. He says his mind, and he doesn't give a fuck who, what anyone thinks about it. And he retired five, six years ago, maybe, something like that. Maybe even a little longer. He said he was in the league 12 years on the show. But he's kind of gotten into the content thing. And he puts out his own podcast. He, it's no gruffs given. It used to be no fucks given. But I think he changed that. Not sure when. I'm in like June right now. I kind of went back and listened to them all. And I really like his show because he reminds me of a, a lot of me with the attitude, with his attitude, right? He, he likes to complain he like the sole purpose of him starting his show was kind of you know it was therapeutic for him and he just kind of vents right he he brings up talking points and like he's really interested in a lot of things like he's super into health skincare is his big thing which is kind of weird 
and he's pretty fashionable. Like, I think one of the episodes, um, this isn't really a term we use anymore, but he said, yeah, I guess I would consider myself metrosexual, right? Kind of, you know, dress, he's real dressy, right? Into the way he looks and portrays himself with clothing, right? Dresses for the occasion and always looks good doing it. But, um, I've been really into that show. You should give it a give it a chance if you're looking for something else to listen to. It's called No Gruffs Given by Sean Avery, Action Park Media Podcasts on Apple Podcasts. It's I don't know. I just listening to it. It reminds me a lot of the way I like to vent about things sometimes, and that's kind of what this the first you know ten minutes or so. This is like you know i'm just kind of venting you know talking about what's going on in my life this is jake's world so yeah give that a try i mean sometimes it's good to just let all that shit off your chest and kind of let it all out let it all out there get it all out there so anyways um gonna recap the sports weekend and then i'm gonna talk about a movie i watched over the weekends based on a true story and it's really fucking good so let's get to it nfl week five of course bad beats bad beats bad beats made a five-team parlay with the buddies this weekend and we really like this one. We haven't hit a good one since week one, right? But we were really thinking, like, hey, this is the week we can turn it around, right? Had five picks. We picked, um, uh, let me think, the noon games. We had, we got Baltimore, Cincinnati, had the spread 11 and a half on there. They covered. Check. We had the Steelers money line over the Eagles. We didn't like that spread. We should have took the spread, but didn't matter. Check. Third game was think, think, think. Um, fuck. What was the third game we did? Um, think. Oh, Cardinals Jets. Cardinals were kind of a parlay buster for us the last couple of weeks, but we decided to give them a good. They it they looked good against. The Jets took that money line. Check. Didn't do anything with the Chiefs and the Raiders. They looked really good on Sunday. But then we had Seahawks, minus seven. They won by two. They looked like shit in the first half. Then we had Cowboys, minus seven. They won by three. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But sports betting is a dangerous game, ladies and gentlemen. It really is. You never really come out ahead. And that's something I've learned throughout this, you know, since I've started doing this. My buddies have done this for a couple years now. Some of them have. But it's really, really tempting to, you know, if you live in a state where you can legally do it or you're on a book... Or even if you play fantasy football, right? You can't treat it as an investment. You have to look at it as I am spending money to have some fun watching football. Because if you win half the time, right? If you break even, 
or even come out a little bit ahead or you lose a little bit, you're doing just fine. The most successful sports bettors win 60% of the time just because there's that human element in everything. Especially when it comes to spread betting, like you never know what's going to happen on the field that day. You have a pretty good guess, and if you were to do everything money line all the time, when I say money line, that's just a team to win outright. That's usually pretty straightforward. Like if you were going, if you were to pick five teams and parlay them together, five money lines, most of the time you'd probably be okay. The favorites typically win, especially when you have a lot of these lopsided games every Sunday. I mean, this past weekend, Chiefs-Raiders, that was a bad example, and that ruined a lot of people's day. But if you bet on the Chiefs every game, you're probably going to come out ahead, but you're not going to make anything. There's no risk involved just because they're such a good team. Same's true with the Ravens. And so far this year, it's kind of been the Packers, um, the Bills, the Bears, all the teams that win, you know, the teams that finish with 14 wins, of course you're going to do better. The spread betting is what gives you a little better, like not odds, but a higher payout, and you take a little more risk. And you can't look at it as an investment because it's easy to see, oh, I put $20 on this parlay to win, you know, 300 bucks. If I win, that's really good. But what if you only win twice a year? And you do twenty dollars every week. You win two three hundred dollar parlays at six hundred, and then you have fourteen weeks of betting twenty dollars. You only come you come out a whole parlay, but it's really frustrating when you lose week after week. So, if you do do that, remember if you do sports bet, just remember that it's about fun of it. It makes football more exciting because even if you lose, you're into the game. You have money on the line. You got some action and got action out there. That's what makes it exciting. But um, I think the biggest takeaway from the football uh, this Sunday um, was definitely Dak Prescott, you know, blowing out his ankle. That was tough. Some guys like the sports injuries videos, right? I mean, I think Big Cat alluded to it. Like, um, as long as he is not in any sort of grave danger or he doesn't die, I'll watch a video, a puke, a puke video. He, he's into those. I'm not. I don't like seeing those videos. Those are always tough for me to watch. Just because it's like you feel their pain a little bit, right? And, I mean, I played sports, and I was fortunate enough to never have a serious, serious injury. Um, I think I... And, high school I was playing like a JV basketball game I rolled an ankle real bad I came down on someone's foot going up for a rebound that hurt had to brace up the ankle for the rest of the season that happened with like a month ago uh JV football high school year I had like bruised ribs that's just painful you can play through it though um I had shoulder tendonitis in baseball junior year I mean things like that I mean nothing ever extremely serious that sidelined me for a prolonged period of time so I feel for guys that go through those you know catastrophic injuries and Alex Smith played again this weekend and look at all the shit he went through and I had I talked about it on the show but Dak had surgery I think 
I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was like a fractured and dislocated ankle. I mean, it was bad because he got tackled and his foot was like 90 degrees or farther out of, like, going the wrong way. And he's, like, stomped it back into place. That was like, oh, don't do that, don't do that. Could make it worse, you know. And I got, we uh, were late getting back to halftime. We didn't have the game on, so we missed it by, like, 30 seconds because we turned the game back on and somebody was on the cart. And Dak Prescott was getting carted off the field, and he had surgery that night after the game. So, I mean, <clears throat> it's really serious because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, he might not ever play again. In fact, he probably would never play again. And there's a chance he might never play again. But, like I mentioned Alex Smith, you have to look at that situation as, like, Dak should be hopeful, right? Opportunistic, Um looking forward to playing again because it's likely he does. I mean, there's a chance he doesn't just because, um, I mean, everybody responds differently to, you know, gruesome injuries like that. But, I mean, even all the really bad injuries in the last, you know, few years, um, Alex Smith, of course, and that rehab process was hell. That was probably the worst one that's happened in a long time. Gordon Hayward had a similar injury. Actually, I think it was the exact same injury. Gordon Hayward missed that whole season. He did the same thing to his ankle or his foot, like two minutes into his Boston Celtics debut. He's playing right now. Um, ACL tears happen often, and guys often come back stronger than they were before because of modern medicine and the rehab process. So, like I said, I mean... It's frightening because, like, you watch these guys and you there is a chance, hey, they never play again. But don't be surprised if you see Dak Prescott suit up again. It sucks, especially because he was my fantasy quarterback and he was on an unparalleled pace. Like, I think if he would have finished that game, there was a chance he would have finished with, like, another game of 450 plus passing yards and that would have been like the fourth week in a row third week in a row which is stupid he had 1900 yards through four games and I mean if you do the math he's on pace for like 7,000 yards it's or it was 1600 yards so yeah he was on it was over like 6,000 yards and the single season passing record is owned by Peyton Manning and he threw 55 5478 I think that's the number I saw, but it, it's absurd what he was doing before. And you just prayers out to him. I mean, wish him a speedy recovery. And before I transition away from football, um, it puts into light how important money is when it comes to professional athletes, right? All... All the guys you watch on TV all the time, whether it be basketball, hockey, football, baseball, whatever it is, all these injuries are high impact, right? You have the best of the best going at each other, and your body only has certain capabilities, right? Look at Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose was probably, if you were to look at the potential of any point guard physically, Derrick Rose was 
up there in the top. He's probably the, the most athletic point guard aside from maybe Russell Westbrook in the last 15 years. That guy was literally too explosive, like too explosive for his ligaments. And he's had three knee surgeries and he went from rookie of the year, MVP as a at 20 years old to a journeyman. And it just shows you how quick it can end, right? And Dak Prescott being franchise tagged looks really bad now. Like he was trying to get that huge contract. And he's worthy of it, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been paid. I mean, is $45 million a year the right number? I don't know. He's putting up numbers to be paid that much. But sometimes you got to take the money, right? He would he was offered like a $250 million contract, I think. He's not Pat Mahomes. He's not worth $450 million over 10 years. But he's certainly worth $200 million over over 5. It just shows you like you get tagged and you get a big payday, but you missed out on all that money. And it's just unfortunate. So, I mean, it it can all end in the blink of an eye. So, And then just wrapping up the NFL, just um, teams to look out for. I mean, Green Bay's got a bye this week. Um, they're really good. <laughs> they're going to be on top of the NFC. I like them in the championship game again. The Niners look like frauds. I don't know. They're they're beat up. Jimmy G looked really bad on Sunday. I mean, how do you lose to the Dolphins by 30 points? The Bears can win games scoring 20 points. They're going to be in the hunt too. I mean, I don't think they're going to win the NFC North, but they can be contenders if that defense keeps them in games, and they always seem to. The Niners, or the, excuse me, the Seahawks need to figure it out on defense because, I mean, their offense is really good, and Russell Wilson looks like the, he's going to be the MVP favorite to start. But that defense doesn't figure it out. They're not going to make a playoff run. you got to be able to play defense, especially against the Vikings. Like Kirk Cousins almost won a primetime game. That means you didn't play well on the defensive side of the ball. Miami Heat couldn't force a Game 7. Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA title. I believe that was their 17th NBA title. Um, LeBron James named Finals MVP. His fourth ring, third team. The only player to have three Finals MVPs on three different teams. And, of course, you see the Michael Jordan and LeBron James debate. It just seems like everybody wants to get into that debate. I'm not going to get into it this time. I mean, LeBron's fantastic. He played a fantastic series. He had some help. I mean, Anthony Davis, he he was just as good. I mean, Jimmy Butler might have been the best player in the series, too. I mean, he balled out. And you feel for the Heat because it's like they didn't participate in that – the super team building. Like, that was an organic team they had. I mean, the Jimmy Butler signing was big, but all those guys are pretty much homegrown. Um, Bam, Adebayo, um, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic has been there forever. It's a great story. I mean, 
it's hard to watch the finals when football's on. I caught a little bit of the game, but I mean, I and you see, you know, all the asterisks on it too. It's like I think this was the hardest finals to win. I mean, you're in the bubble for three months, and you really can't leave. I mean, the NBA had some family there. And it was a little easier, I'd say, than the NHL one, where it was just the players in the bubble for, you know, three months, four months. But that's tough. I mean, fan, no fans might have helped. I mean, you had some of these younger guys be able to play just because they don't feel the pressure of, you know, the what the older guys or the veterans are used to. But, I mean kind of sad about sports because I mean now it's just playoff baseball and football I mean things are kind of winding down I mean I guess since we missed out on two or three months of sports we're going to get them back much sooner I think those two leagues are eyeing up to return in like Christmas time I think that's when they plan on kicking off the NHL will probably be in the new year they usually have a Christmas holiday anyways NBA plays on Christmas day I think that's when the season's going to start again but I'm not sure We'll see what happens. So, and then that's pretty much it with the sports. Yankees lost to the Rays five five games. Astros are back in the CS. They're playing the Rays. Um, who's on the other side? It's Braves. Um, fuck, I don't even know. That's a shame. Oh, Dodgers. Duh. Braves, Dodgers. Um, I'd like to see the Rays and the Braves play. That would be interesting, just so it's something a little bit different. But I don't see the Dodgers losing. I don't want to see the Astros in either, just because, I mean, you could beat this like a dead horse, but, I mean, they cheated. <laughs> it's, nobody's rooting for them, minus their own fan base, and it, it sucks to see them get hot at just the right time. So keep an eye out on that going forward. So... That's, that pretty much wraps up the sports, and I want to get into this movie I watched over the weekend. Now, this isn't like some obscure movie that no one's ever heard of, right? Maybe you haven't, though. I'm a, I'd say, a cinephile, right? I'm not just into movies. I like everything that comes with it, you know, the aesthetics and the cinematography, the acting, the plot, the historical accuracy and um, I've heard of this movie before and I've been eyeing it for a long time but I've never had a chance to watch it because it was never available to stream and Netflix finally added it I think a month ago maybe maybe they added it with October or September I'm not quite sure when it came on but um, Fargo based on <clears throat> it's named after the city in North Dakota Fargo it's a Coen Brothers movie Right, Cone Brothers are, I think they are probably the most, they might be the only notable duo directors, producers, writers, whatever you want to say. You know, the not the acting part of film, but you know, making it. They're a team. They're two brothers, Ethan and Joel Cone. Um, they did movies like Raising Arizona. The Big Lebowski, probably my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Um, oh Brother, Where Art Thou with George Clooney. Um, no Country for Old Men. 
Burn After Reading, Brad Pitt, True Grit, the remake with Jeff Bridges. Um, movies like that, right? They're they're unique. Kind of like how Tarantino's movies are unique. You know, they're clever in their own way. They're written much differently. They go against the grain of, you know, like your typical Hollywood movie. They're unique. That's really the best word for it. Unique. They're niche. Like, when you watch um, Pulp Fiction or mostly Tarantino of the 90s through the early 2000s, right? Um, Tarantino loves history. He shows that in his later movies, like Once Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or um, Django Unchained. Those are period pieces, not so much Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but he likes westerns. It's a spoof of a spaghetti western, but... um, he does movies like um, like Pulp Fiction is so unique. It's it's supposed to be a crime movie, but it's a dark comedy. I think technically you'd say I don't think you can say black comedy anymore, and that's what Fargo is too. But movies like Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, Death Proof, um, and Glorious Bastards—they're all unique in their own setting, right? And this is kind of what the Coen Brothers specialize in. And this movie, Fargo, is based on a true story, and it's absurd what happened. Um, there's it, it takes place in this small town named um, Brainerd, Minnesota. It, it's in Minnesota. Half of it's in the Twin Cities. They say it's Twin Cities. Minneapolis, St. Paul and in this small town called Brainerd, Minnesota. First of all, before I get into the plot, I have to say it's a comedy because it's raunchy, right? I mean, there's this movie, if it was written by anybody else, it could be a drama. But it's, it's funny just the way it's active. Steve Buscemi's in it, you know, the guy from the meme. He goes back to school and he's like, how do you do, fellow kids? That's Steve Buscemi. He's in there. Um, Cousin Tony from Sopranos. That guy. Um, He was probably the only actor I knew in it. You know, going into it. But, um... (laughs) The dialogue's funny. The whole premise is not funny. It's a serious movie, but the way it's written, it's designed that way. And that's what I mean when I say unique. It's It's a dark comedy, so... Um, it starts out with this car salesman. Um, what's the guy's name? Robert, is it Rob Lundegaard? I think that's it. This used car, or this car salesman is in a money pinch, right? He needs some money. And, um, he develops this idea. He drives out to Fargo, North Dakota, and he meets these two gangsters I wouldn't say gangsters they're like small time hoods but he meets these two people and he's like I have a job for you I'll give you part of the money that we're gonna get from this if you kidnap my wife straightforward right his his father-in-law is super wealthy and instead of just asking 
his father-in-law for, you know, money. I'm assuming it's probably like a gambling debt or whatever. But he's in a pinch. And his father-in-law won't give it to him. So his plan is to have these two guys kidnap his wife while he's at work. And he'll use the ransom money that his father-in-law would pay these two gangsters to let his daughter go. He lets them go. He'll give them a share, and then he'll pay off his debts, and everything will be hunky-dory, right? Well, in the meantime, he stumbles across this investment opportunity that his father-in-law is potentially interested in. And now he's thinking, okay, maybe I don't have to go through with this ludicrous plan of kidnapping my wife. And he takes it to his father-in-law and his assistant, Meanwhile, trying to call off the kidnap. His father-in-law is super interested in it, except it's not like a thing where he's going to front Lundegaard the money and, you know, pay back the interest, and now this he's going to be getting money from it. His father-in-law is like, okay, thanks for the opportunity. I'm going to do this. And he gets pretty upset about it and yada, yada, yada plan goes through they kidnap his wife while he's at work and he's got to pretend like he doesn't know what's going on and his father-in-law it's like let's call the police and he's like no 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 we can do this we can do this like just give him the ransom money we'll we'll take care of it and she's in the back of the car the two guys are driving away i don't even remember their names because whatever there's they're speeding out of town they're leaving, and they're headed back to. Um, they're eventually, eventually they hole up in Moose Lake. They, there's a cabin they have out there, and they keep her there waiting for, you know, the meat to get the ransom money. On the way out there, um, Lundegaard gives. I'm just saying his last name. I think it's Robert or Bob Lundegaard. I'll, we'll just say Bob for all intents and purposes. Bob gives them a used car as part of the deal as well. And um, they don't put the plates on it. And a state trooper pulls them over. And um, Steve Buscemi tries to do this thing where he's like, you know, a subtle, very obvious bribe to the police officer. Like, hey, here's my driver's license. And he just hands him his wallet. And the state trooper's having none of it, right? And Steve Buscemi's partner is a psychopath right the entire trip he says like three words and one of them is pancakes because he wants pancakes for breakfast like and see Buscemi's like you we just ate fucking pancakes I like, what the fuck do you want pancakes again for and he's just like I want pancakes the guy's a psychopath he reaches into the glove box and shoots this street state trooper right in the face now he's like well what the fuck now we gotta get rid of this body Steve Buscemi's dragging the cop into the ditch, and it's snow. It's in the middle of winter in North Dakota, or Minnesota. It's fucking cold, right? Um, he's um, dragging this cop, and then a car drives by, and it's like this fat kid. He looked like like a young John Goodman, just or John Candy, excuse me. Yeah, whoever. He's just this fat kid, and he's driving by real slow, and he's like, appalled at what he sees and they take him and the his girlfriend or wife take off in the other way um psychopath is in the car 
He hops from the passenger seat to the driver's seat and peels off after these guys. And eventually he catches them, he runs them off the road, and he finishes the job. Then it flashes forward to the next morning. And you kind of meet the the female star of the movie. Uh, she won Best Actress for this movie, too, I believe. She won an Oscar. And um, she's kind of investigating the murder. And then she's got to kind of put together all the pieces. I'll kind of spare you all the details. But um, she's, you know, getting closer to figuring out what's going on. And then she pops into the car dealership. And, you know, Bob's kind of on edge, right? Because she's on to him and he's a terrible liar too. And she he's trying to just get her out of there until this whole thing blows over. Now, meanwhile, it's time for the exchange. Um, her father-in-law decides I'm going to give you the ransom and except I'm going to shoot you in the process and keep the money so Steve Buscemi drives back to Minneapolis and he has the just the money doesn't have his daughter and he's like where's my daughter where's my daughter I'm not giving you any money until he gives me until you hand over my daughter and he's like Steve Buscemi's like, ah, fuck you. I mean, yeah, what the fuck, man? I had the worst fucking day of my whole fucking life. He, he says fuck like 90 times. It's really funny. They end up shooting each other. Father-in-law's incapacitated. <laughs> he dies. Um, Steve Buscemi takes the money and drives off. He's going back to the cabin. Meanwhile, on the way, he's driving, and he opens the duffel bag with the money in it there's a million dollars in there and he gets a little greedy so he pulls over and there's this uh, fence this wire farm fence off the side of the highway going for miles right barren Minnesota uh, North Dakota wherever he takes what money he needs to split with his partner and then he buries the rest he marks it with a nice pick so it's it's right there he'll know where to find it he gets back to the cabin and he walks in there's blood all over his face because he got shot in the face but it kind of grazed him so he's like got paper towels and blood all over his hands and his face his uh, Bob's wife is like tied to the chair slumped over and he walks in he's like the fuck did you do the guy's watching TV eating cereal. Oh, she wouldn't stop yapping, so I shut her up. And it's like, well, whatever. He gives him the money. Here's his share. And he's like, I'm fucking leaving. And he's like, you can't take the car. You gotta split the car. And he's like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Split it with the chainsaw? I've had the worst fucking day. I did all the work. Now I'm gonna take the car. And he goes to leave. Except Psychopath comes out with an axe and smacks him. Like, cuts the black. So Steve Buscemi had a really fucking bad series of events here. So he's dead. Psychopath is still at the cabin by himself. Now the police officer is waiting or still investigating everything going on. And she is looking for this car and she's kind of driving her route around the cabin. She sees the car. It's, you know, the... I think it was like an Oldsmobile car or whatever. I don't remember the make of the car. But um, it's unmarked. That's the car they're looking for. She drives up and she hears something like in the backyard. It's 
like a chainsaw almost, right? She goes, pulls her gun out, walks around the cabin, and psychopath is smoking a cigarette and mashing Steve Buscemi's leg into a wood chipper. He's disposing of the body, and you just see red flying out of the other end of the wood chipper, and a foot and a bone, and he takes a split piece of wood and is mashing this bone into the wood chipper. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? He sees the cop. He starts running across the lake. She shoots him in the leg, and then that's it. Um, Bob's in a motel. He gets arrested, and then that's where the movie kind of ends. But the storytelling by me there wasn't fantastic because, I mean, there's really not... That's pretty much it. It's an hour and 40 minute long movie, but it kind of gets drawn out with a lot of subtleties, right? But two things to take away from this. First, this was a true story. This actually happened. I think it happened in like the 80s or the 70s. I'm not quite sure of the period it was supposed to be set in. It's definitely not present day just because of like the cars they drove and things like that. But this was a true fucking story. Like This actually happened in Minnesota. Second, the funniest thing from the entire movie is the dialect they speak in. Everybody knows that Minnesota, people from Minnesota, Minnesotans, are notoriously polite, right? It's almost like the Canada thing. Um, you know, super polite. They call Minnesota nice. And that was probably the one criticism of the movie because... The accent in the movie is over the top, right? Like, everything they say is, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How are you doing there? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just another day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was ridiculous listening to these people talk because it's like, this cannot be real. People from Minnesota don't. It's not as exaggerated, but it, it was funny. But... Now, you're probably thinking, why are you laughing at the plot of this movie? And I'm telling you, that's just the way the movie's written. It's meant to be funny. It's a dark comedy. And it's a good one, too. Like, this movie's been on my list for a long time. If you're into movies like me, I know you're probably not. But Empire Magazine made a list of 500 best movies ever made. Fargo's on there. Give it a give it a chance. It's only an hour and forty minutes. It's not too long. It's interesting enough to get into. Give it a, give it a check. Check it out. It's called Fargo. Coen Brothers, made in nineteen ninety six, I believe. It's not that old. If you're like, oh, I don't watch anything before two thousand, you're a loser. Like the best movies were made before two thousand. So just give out give Fargo a look. It's really good, I promise. It has my unsolicited. You don't need my recommendation. It's good, I promise. That concludes today's podcast. I did enjoy talking that movie just because it was kind of a change of pace from everything else going on. I didn't have to talk about the current state of the world or just sports. And it was nice to get a, a movie review in there. So... Check out Fargo. Check out the Nuance magazine. I've said it a million times already. Casey does a 
ton of good work with his friends or trying to get this magazine bigger and bigger just like I'm trying to get this podcast bigger and bigger so give them a give them a chance to get, check out check out their stuff and then yeah that's pretty much that pretty much does it so you can follow me on Twitter Instagram and Snapchat at Jake Swinski J A K E S A W I N S K I eight and have a good week peace Thank you.